Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Progressive and a Libertarian Walk into a Bar. I'm Sean O. Fernius. And we are joined today by the uh, Libertarian Warlord, uh, Angela McArdle. She's the chair of the uh, Libertarian, uh, the Los Angeles County Libertarian Party, amongst other things. So you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself so I don't fuck it up? Yeah, thanks for having me. So my name is Angela. I chair the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles County. I'm also on the executive committee for the Libertarian Party of California. I am the state coordinator for the California Mises Caucus. And I just do as much libertarian activism in Los Angeles County as I can. I have run for Congress twice in my district. Excellent. Can, can and, you tell us uh, what the Mises, so, sorry to cut you off. Can you tell us what the Mises Caucus is? I'm not familiar with it. Sure. The Mises Caucus is a caucus within the Libertarian Party at the national and state level that mm -hmm. focuses a lot about economic education within the party and in our outreach. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, Mises, he was a, an economist. You know, he, it's funny, I, I came into libertarianism from the left uh, more as a civil libertarian. So it took me a while to, to find out about the you know, Mises and uh, Hayek and all these other uh, fin more financial aspects of libertarianism, but I dig it all. So I'm a big fan. So that's how I ended up in the Mises uh, uh, caucus as well. Very cool. So, yes. And uh, so did you want to uh, like talk about some of the activism you've done before the protests? Like I know you do a lot to help out uh, people with uh, mm. getting evicted and things like that. Sure. So this is sort of an interesting thing. It places me at a strange place, I think, for most libertarians. I do a lot of eviction defense. I work in the legal field. I live in Northeast Los Angeles, and a lot of my clients are in that area as well. Right now I'm working from home, but ordinarily I'd be working halfway from home and half from my office in Pasadena. I am not an attorney, I'm a paralegal. I also do a lot of what I call black market law practice. So I help people uh, who are not able to afford the services of an attorney. I'm sure you guys are familiar with how expensive that is. It's you know, about three fifty an hour usually. To right. hire a not that great attorney, quite frankly. So I help a lot of people who get evicted, and I've done a lot of activism in the past regarding the homeless population in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. In 2013. I worked really hard with a couple of groups, Los Angeles Food Not Bombs and Monday Night Mission to organize a protest against Los Angeles County, I'm sorry, the city of Los Angeles proposed ordinance to ban food sharing in public rights of way, which is more colloquially known as feeding the homeless. And it was a huge protest, over 700 people in Hollywood. It was very effective. And that was what really got me interested in political activism. Because I saw that I could absolutely make a difference on a local level. And it was just like, I'd been volunteering with food sharing with the homeless community in downtown LA, especially Skid Row and Pershing Square for over a year. And I just felt really convicted about it. And the government interference just got me really fired up. So I've tried mm -hmm. to be active on libertarian issues where they intersect, especially with social issues from that point on. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we did this podcast is because I think there is a lot of crossover in mm -hmm. the attentions of libertarians and progressives. We tend to diverge on our, our method for it, but I think that's one that obviously we both can get behind pretty extensively, you know, to there shouldn't be the government shouldn't be keeping people from helping helping out other citizens. That's just crazy as shit. So that I, that's great. I remember reading about that. I uh, that, That's great that you did that. That's that's a cool protest to be involved in. 
and and actually because it was effective too because they did not follow through with it which is great mm -hmm. absolutely we protested right in front of a city council member's office his field office he was later removed for corruption you know like <laughs> it was typical politician stuff right yeah and you had all kinds of people there. It was really inspiring. You had libertarians, you had progressives, you had anarchists, you had conservatives, little old church ladies, you know, because yeah. no one wants to see people forced to eat out of the garbage. And that's really mm -hmm. what it was about. It was about kicking homeless people out of the city of Los Angeles and or making them eat out of garbage cans. Very dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I like um, that in particular because it's not what somebody would normally think of a libertarian. We're always considered the people that don't give a shit. <laughs> At least that's the way we're portrayed in the media. So I like that. I like that that gets out there that you know that's that's not the truth. You know, we we do care. It just our care, the way we care might mm -hmm. look a little different. Well, how um, how has the pandemic affected uh, the homeless population from what you've seen? Well, there's from what I've seen and there's what I'm reading about. What I see specifically with my own eyes in my neighborhood is not a lot. Some homeless people are wearing masks, some are not. Mm -hmm. I Well, actually, let me back that up. Okay, let's talk about the definition of homeless. Because there are, when we think of homeless, we generally think of people who live on the street. They mm -hmm. sleep on the street. They beg for money. They don't work. Their clothes are dirty and maybe they have a shopping cart. That is not every homeless person, and that is not the definition of homeless. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who are very neat and tidy. They either are homeless out of their car, or they sleep in a tent, or it's sort of a mix of everything. They crash on a friend's couch for a week, they're in a car, they lose the car, you know, then they go through a cycle. But mm -hmm. a lot of those people have jobs, minimum wage jobs, jobs that don't pay a lot, but it's a job. And in order to stay clean, those people have gym memberships and they need to go in businesses to clean themselves up, to take care of themselves. They need to have access to, you know, public restrooms and facilities like that before they can go into work. And so this has been pretty devastating for people who rely on gym memberships to get clean. Not just people who have jobs, but, you know, if you're on GR, you get, I think, Food stamps, you get about $221 a month on your card, but you get, I think, maybe like $170. I'm, I'm off, but I'm close, I think. $170 something dollars in cash. You can afford a $40 membership. You can afford a really cheap membership at Planet, is it Planet Fitness. Fitness? It's mm -hmm. like $10 to $20 a month. And those people have effectively been shut out of taking showers and cleaning up after themselves. That's horrible. So that's been really devastating for a lot of homeless people in that respect and very dehumanizing. And I know that it's also taken away a little bit of the humanity that you get when you get your money or your cash or whatever, even at the beginning of the month, if you're getting it on welfare and you're able to clean yourself up and go sit down in a restaurant. You can't do that anymore. You can't sit outside of Starbucks, you know? A cup of coffee isn't that much money and it's not a stretch that a lot of homeless people will purchase one cup of coffee every day so that they can sit down around other human beings and feel respected and like they're part of a community and just normalized. So mm -hmm. all that's been ripped away. And so that's been a pretty, pretty devastating impact on a lot of people who are homeless and who are not, you know, what we think of when we think of the homeless stereotype. And that is really frustrating. Mm -hmm. now, now what, what about in terms of access to tests or healthcare or um, access to masks, to washing stations? Uh, have you seen 
uh, them being affected by that? Um, are there enough resources for them? Oh, no. I mean, well, it depends on what we're talking about with resources, right? Government resources? No, because there's not enough resources for anyone anyway. I mean, they can mm -hmm. get in line just like everyone else. And they're certainly going to be disenfranchised if they look dirty because they haven't taken a shower in a week or a month. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know if anyone has ever gone down to Skid Row and waited yep. in line at a medical clinic <laughs> or the dentist. Well, not, in, not at the medical clinic, yeah. Right. The medical <laughs> clinic or the dentist, you try to get services down there. And it's frightening. It's a bad experience. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine what it's like trying to wait in line down there for other services. It's already mm -hmm. a cesspool of disease. And I don't say that as a slight against anyone down there. It's just, there are so many It's a people, fact, yeah. 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 So many people crammed in there who have mental illness, who can't take care of themselves properly. And all of the services are concentrated down there. So of course people are gonna stay there. And you know, there's human excrement in the streets. You're gonna get sick if, you're, if there's not, a, you know, like a serious virus going around. Mm -hmm. no. Yeah. There, what, what was the what was the disease that was going around? Typhus was going around last year. Typhus, allegedly. So yeah. I have a lot to say about this. We talk about mm. there was a typhus outbreak. But I I counted four cases. So we need to think about you know you can blame media, you can blame local government, someone sensationalizing it because back uh, in 2011 or 2012 the ACLU won a court case that banned the police officers from removing homeless people's belongings from the streets and the sidewalks. Now, there are certain restrictions on that. There are certain caveats, I guess, when they need to clean, if someone's being belligerent or obstinate, they can remove property. But ever since that ruling, which has been a blessing and a curse, as we've seen, because of some of the issues, the health issues that have come up, but ever since that ruling, the city and the police and, and the media have had a real hard on make everything sound really extra disgusting and gross and say that there are disease outbreaks down there. And it's not always the case. Hmm. And I believe that calling the typhus outbreak an outbreak is overblown. If, if you get a handful of cases, something's not an outbreak. Same mm -hmm. as when in 2013, they said there was a tuberculosis outbreak. There were a handful of confirmed cases. Absolutely. But does that, is that an outbreak? I, I don't think so. I think, you know, we could argue about semantics. But I right, think right, right. the city yeah. to inflate things so that they can point the finger and say, aha, see, stupid ACLU, you shouldn't have done that. Look at what you're doing now. You've created this problem. So I think we need to we need to be mindful of when we talk about outbreaks and like, is it a crisis? Is it this? Is it that? And actually look at the numbers and talk to the people who are down there living it because they'll tell you, they'll be very upfront whether or not it's an outbreak. They'll tell you who died, who's in the hospital. They know their mm -hmm. community. They know what's up. Right. So um, segue to the, the protests. Um, as, as you know, as of yesterday, um, the state is opening up, LA is opening up, uh, the Bay Area is choosing not to for I think another week or two more weeks. So the protests um, that you helped organize or did you organize directly um, have had that effect, right? Yeah. So would you please tell us like how did you, like you were experiencing the pandemic just like we were all experiencing it. At what point did you see that, okay, the pandemic and their reaction to it has gone too far? And when, how did you decide that you needed to do something about it? Well, I don't know if I experienced it the same way as everyone else, because I have friends when, it, you know, I see on social media that people, people say comments like, it's scary outside. 
I'm scared to go outside. There's a lot of fear and I don't have that experience. I just don't have those feelings and it doesn't look that way to me. And so that a lot of that, you know, there are a couple of reasons that I chose to go forward with protesting. One is that I had a lot of complaints and heard a lot of grievances from people who are undocumented that they're not getting unemployment. They don't get mm-hmm. the stimulus check. Not that that's enough money to live off of in Southern <laughs> California. Uh, they don't have a lot of resources. And not only do they pay for themselves here, but they send money back to families who are impoverished in Mexico and Central America. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my experience is that it was frustrating for me. It was depressing being cooped up inside, especially when it was raining and I was sick. I have Crohn's disease and I was having sort of a flare up at that time. So I was just feeling extremely claustrophobic and frustrated. But I saw that, you know, the economic devastation that was going through my community in Northeast LA. And I talked on one-on-one to people who run taco trucks. They push carts selling elote and stuff like that. And and they're just like, we got to get back to work. This is inhuman. You know, I just, I don't need a government money. I just want to work. That's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And that really motivated me once I started hearing these stories and seeing that these people had no recourse and their lives are being destroyed. So how, um, so at one point where, I mean, it's still about six months into this whole process of dealing with the pandemic, whether it's um, New York, New Zealand, Australia, Sweden, so there's still a lot of information that we don't have. Uh, we're still figuring this out, trying to look for medications, uh, vaccines, X, Y, and Z. Um, so every country has had a different reaction. Every state has tried to deal with this in their own way with people reacting in different ways to that. Um, so when you see, or when you saw the amount of infections, the amount of deaths uh, that were happening, how do you balance that out with the economic hardships that people are definitely experiencing? Or at what point was it? Go, go ahead. Sure. So we know that thousands of people have died due to complications from coronavirus. We don't know exactly how many people. We just know, you know, a lot. We know that testing has uh, been kind of sketchy. There are a lot of rumors about things that have gone wrong in New York and numbers being messed with. But we still, in spite of all of that, and there's a lot of You know, there are conspiracies, there are theories. I don't think that every theory is a conspiracy because government has done some pretty horrible things and I don't think that it's far-fetched. And we know corporations do horrible things all the time. And from working in litigation, I know that doctors make mistakes and accidentally kill people. So with all of those things in mind, you know, I don't think it's far-fetched to sort of wonder about exactly how many people have died. We're not sure, but we know it's a lot. It's enough that it matters. But when we look at all of the other studies around the world posted you know, and, and done by people that I do and don't agree with, we know that the economic fallout caused by this is gonna mm-hmm. cause hundreds of thousands of deaths. We've seen the suicide hotline have an over an 800% increase. Undocumented people going broke. The, I believe that the number of deaths increases as unemployment rises. There was a study done in the 1970s that talked about that, but it was also affirmed in 2001 by a Harvard study. So I think that that's, you know, something to consider. Uh, Child deaths, I believe the WHO and the IMF also put out a study saying that there were going to be hundreds of thousands of child deaths worldwide due to economic fallout. It's not just about the United States, it's about the world. And as someone who lives in Los Angeles, we're the 11th largest economy in the world, greater Los Angeles, or we were before this happened. Mm -hmm. 
our actions do have an impact on everyone else. So when people say, oh, if you go to the store, you could potentially, you could potentially infect someone else if you don't know you're sick and pass it on. I say, okay, that's a, that's a potentiality. I don't have a lot of control over everything that happens in the world, but it's a potentiality. But I do know that the more people stay home and don't work and the more we refuse to let people work, the more people definitely will die across the globe due to the economic fallout, poverty, starvation, lack of resources, not being able to go to the gym. What if you have a staph infection and you just you can't afford to go to the doctor, there's a long line, you just need to clean your body. So these are the sort of things that I think about when I have to weigh the costs. I know that the economic devastation, I don't even like to put it that way, it's really just the impact of our actions. It's not just about dollars. Like It's gonna kill people, it is killing people. And I wanna do the greater good. So I wanna save as many people as I can. So well, even in New York, they've in New York they've shown that you know sixty six percent of the, the the new cases are for people who were on lockdown. Yeah. So it's you know that's not even stopping it uh, in that sense either. Right. right. I like, I like we're looking at these taking, numbers. Taking the, doing so much of the questions, it le leaves me to drink some over here. <laughs> go right ahead. Go right ahead. Oh, um, and feel free to jump in. I have a lot of questions, but feel free, Sean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm letting you do so, all the all the heavy lifting right now, so I can drink. <laughs> go ahead. Go right ahead. Um, so, like to reach herd immunity, you know, that would be ideal, right? To be able to reach herd immunity, so that way we don't have to have anybody wearing masks, social distance, or stay at home isolated. Um, for each, uh, for us to be able to reach herd immunity, 60 to 70 percent of the U.S. population, and that's let's say, uh, you know, sort of number pulled out of the air, but 67% would have to be infected. Um, for that, that would be about 220 million of the US population. And with a 1% mortality rate, let's say 1% below, that would be what, like maybe 2 million people, 2.2 million people that would essentially could die from that. So what we're talking about is being able to prevent that as much as possible. And we're, we're doing that, uh, but we're nearing 80,000 people dying uh, as of today. Right, in LA County, something like 1,500 people, 1,300, 1,400 uh, people. It was 1,000 people a week and a half ago. Yes, so yeah, I checked earlier this morning, so about 1,400, 1,500. Okay. So um, in our numbers, based on our population, um, are much higher than the, other, than the areas of, like Orange County, San Diego, uh, they're doing a little bit better than we are. So I think because of the size of this uh, county, I think it makes sense to protect ourselves and protect each other as much as possible. Um, because so far we've lost 80,000 people in the US. And yes, I think depression, I think poverty, I think uh, people that are abused, uh, like spousal abuse, children are abused. I think they are all going to be victims of this and um, more consequences that I can't even think of. Um, but I think when we put those two and weigh them, I think that is probably much more serious and we should be able to um, not necessarily have a lockdown until we get a vaccine or a cure, because that's that's impossible. But we also shouldn't be able to uh, go back to normal as if nothing was happening tomorrow. So um, between that, I think um, what Sean and I constantly talk about is making sure that we're able to calculate or at least balance out, like, okay, when do we go back? What strategies are working? Um, where where does uh, where does where does the science fall in? into the calculation as to when we should um, end the lockdowns for you. For, for me, what I always say there is I think the willing should be the ones who go out there. Like for me, 
I've stated, you know, my, my mom's high risk, I'm taking care of her. So I kind of have to play it more safe, but I've always felt, you know, people say that the libertarians say only, you know, it's only for the strong, but I, I've always felt that the strong people are the ones who have to stand up for the weaker ones in that sense. And they're the ones who, if somebody wants to go out and work, they should be able to go out and work and take care of things and keep things going while the rest of the people who need to can, you know, hunker down and ride it out a little bit till things clear up a little bit. And that way, because I, I guess the thing for a lot of libertarians is, is the mandate from government is the force aspect, because a lot of people were already locked down beforehand. I didn't need the government to tell me I, I was I was in my house a week ahead of time before they ever did anything. So I just it's the mandate from government that tends to fuck things up for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I am not I am not convinced that this is going to have a one percent death rate. I believe the death rates right now we have, everything is based on testing. It's not based on the US population. It's based on the number of tests. So we'll see what happens, you know? Maybe I'll eat crow, but I'm not convinced that 2 million people in the United States yeah. are gonna die from this. I'm just not. No, no, no. I've looked I at a lot of data people. and it doesn't all correlate very well. Like everything, everything that I looked at, my conclusion is, wow, that's a lot of data. I'm not convinced either way. Well, um, yeah. Like the, the death rate, so 70, 80 million or 80,000 people died, something 1.3 million people are have been tested to, or have been tested positive for this, right? And that's that mortality rate's about 6%, which is incredibly high. There's a lot of people that have had it, have not been tested, um, and some people that have had it and will live their lives like if they never had it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think the mortality rate is not 6%. I think it's a lot lower than that. But we just don't know, but it's definitely deadlier than the flu, as we've already seen. So it's higher than 0.1%, but it's, I'm going to say it's about 1%, and that's incredibly high, but we can't uh, ignore that. Um, I think the best thing we can do is uh, take an example, whether it's from Sweden or from New Zealand, um, two extremes where one's not doing very much of a lockdown and one did a, a very strict mm -hmm. um, set of measures, where in New Zealand you had like 19 deaths as of this morning, and uh, something like a 1,500, no, I'm sorry, 3,400 deaths in Sweden so far. So, I mean, that worked in New Zealand. It's not working in Sweden. What's the and population density in New Zealand? Totally different. Not much. Absolutely. It's an island. It's 5 million people. Yeah. They had 1,400 cases, uh, but they closed their borders. They only had like hospitals, gas stations, grocery stores open, I think, during that time. I think they also had a different climate when this was all happening, too. I think there's a lot of factors and it's just, as I try to compare this country to that country, to this country, to that country, everything is just really different. Mm -hmm. And it's almost impossible, almost, to account for every variable and pinpoint, oh, this is exactly why this happened. This is exactly why that happened. Culturally, there are a lot of differences too. Like Japan, they have, they have subways, they, but those, those people mask up anyway. Asian countries, they're just a little bit, honestly, they're a little bit cleaner than Americans. Americans are a little, a little grimy. We don't, we don't wash our hands as much. Mm -hmm. Don't wear masks if we get sick. We bump into each other and we're rude on the subway. You know, that's <laughs> just, that's, that's the way it is. And I try to take that into account. And sometimes people think, oh, that's not PC. And I'm like, why? Because I said Asian people are cleaner than Americans. Well, whatever, you'll, you'll probably live. Maybe you'll die from coronavirus, but not for me saying something nice about Asian people. Um, government force is, is definitely my biggest issue with this. I, I don't care if people want to self-quarantine. I don't care if they want to wear masks. Do whatever you want. 
I find it difficult to breathe in a mask. It makes my nose run and then I look like I'm sick and I'm not sick, fogs up my glasses. Uh, you know, I've got, I've got issues with it. When I, I have to go to the hospital every about two weeks to get an iron infusion, so I have to wear a mask when I go. It's annoying, but I do it. Um, you know, I don't wear a mask when I'm at home. And well, obviously, yeah. I don't wear a mask when I'm out around town unless I have to. That is just mm -hmm. my personal choice. Right. And um, I, I wanted to jump to the, to the protests. Um, I saw, I think I heard you on the Tom Woods show you were describing. Was it Tom Woods? Or yeah. you were talking about the makeup? Yeah, Tom Woods. Um, you were talking Mine about the racial makeup of the, yeah, yeah I, had, I had to listen. Um, the racial makeup of the protests. And, I, or, and you were talking about the makeup of the protests in general. I think you were saying there were 200 that were libertarians and maybe 500 or the rest of the group that were Trump supporters. Mm. That's the case. Some, that's my that? estimate, somewhere around there. But I don't think that all 500 were necessarily Trump supporters. They were conservatives. There's mm. a huge difference. Yeah. So people think people think Republican, oh, then you support Trump. And that's not the case. People think conservative, oh, then you're a Republican. And that's also not the case. Mm -hmm. So I didn't interview every single person to ask whether or not they support Donald Trump. And it is definitely frustrating when media that's on the left skews everyone that's conservative as a Trump supporter, because there's a lot of never Trumpers. There's a lot of people who wouldn't call themselves a, a never Trumper because they don't like that term because they just don't want to be associated politically mm -hmm. with Donald Trump. They're just like, look, I'm a lifelong conservative. I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I voted uh, libertarian this election cycle. I'll probably vote, you know, for the Republican candidate the next time one rolls around, that sort of thing. But I just, mm -hmm. I want to make that distinction because mm -hmm. what happens is, you know, we're out there all together as a group protesting for our economic and our personal freedom. And then it gets skewed into, oh, it was a, it was a Trump rally because it was all Trump supporters. There were a handful of Trump signs Mm -hmm. There was one Trump flag I saw. By far, the signs were not about Donald Trump. And I didn't hear, like, there was no chanting about Donald Trump. You said there were some, uh, some uh, undocumented people there protesting as oh, well. absolutely. You? There were undocumented people there with signs that said, I'm undocumented. I don't get unemployment. I need to go back to work. It's, it's dangerous for me to be here at all saying this. There were signs that said Democrats against Newsom. Obviously, there were libertarian signs. There were families there with children who were just protesting because they wanted to go back to school. There were women who were protesting because they had special needs children, and those children need to be socialized every single day, and they've regressed rapidly. They said, you know, five years worth of socialization on my autistic child has been undone. They, they had no interest politically. There were apolitical people there, anarchists, all kinds of people. So, um, so I wanted to touch on um, those indigenous workers really quickly. I mean, what Governor uh, Newsom saying, I, I think it was Newsom or, or our mayor, um, that he is going to be giving uh, some assistance to undocumented workers. I think it was the governor that said that, yeah, which is both. helpful, right? And also, right, and we should that also should come federally. Um, and I think everybody, as a liberal, should get like Amash saying some sort of like a universal living wage or universal basic income. So that way we can have enough money coming in. So that way we don't have to go back to work and expose ourselves, our families, and those undocumented workers don't have to worry about um, 
why uh, I'm going on the streets to sell food, elotes, fruits, or whatever. Um, otherwise, they are having to expose themselves to the conditions that you're describing. Well, I'm definitely not in favor of UBI. And mm. before I even get there, though, let's let's unpack this. There's a lot going on. $500 one time from Gavin Newsom if you're an undocumented person. Yeah, so you're basically... It. You're, you're a little, you're worth a little less than half a person. <laughs> That's how I took it. Yeah. Oh. Okay. No, it's I, wrong. Yeah, absolutely. That, that upset me. And, uh, and it's complicated. You, it's, it's not an easy thing to sign up for. This, the mayor, Eric Garcetti, also sets aside some funds, the total amount, I don't know off the top of my head, to help people who are undocumented, but there is a wait list. The funds are completely depleted right now. I know they are because I've been listening. Same to with the small business ones too, right? They're all depleted as well. Uh, but, PPP but not the corporations. Federal, yeah. The PPP federal loan, they reopened it. A, oh, okay. Two, two weeks ago. I don't know if they've, if they've stopped printing money. <laughs> for that, <laughs> Probably not. For that loan program yet. Mm-hmm. Regarding UBI, I mean, I don't support inflation. And a typical Keynesian economist will tell you, oh, we don't actually see that inflation hasn't been, it hasn't been that bad maybe, but they're looking maybe at the wrong financial instruments. They're looking at consumer price index, but they're not necessarily looking at assets and other metrics in the economy that you can definitely see inflation has risen. That's like a whole nother animal, yeah, yeah. you know, another well, rabbit We're entering a depression. What's that? We're entering a depression. Absolutely. I, we're in it, and I hope that it doesn't turn into the second Great Depression. Yeah. It's not looking good. Right, right. I would like, ideally, instead of UBI, I would like the government to just cancel taxes while we're doing this. I think that would be good. And to definitely, uh, everyone, I feel like everyone is essential. But if anyone's job is not essential, it's going to be a government job. <laughs> yeah. It really galls me that the people who are saying you can't go to work are still getting a paycheck. That is really frustrating. And I know, well, I know some government employees, they got paid up until two weeks ago. They were still getting checks, even though they weren't going into work even. So that is, that is a frustration of mine. Well, yeah, a lot of Congress yeah. didn't want to go to work either, but, you know, they, 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 they'd just rather sit at home and not do anything. And, you know, why, you know, they want to force some people like the meat, you know, Trump wanted to force the people in the meat industry to go to work, but the Congress didn't even want to go to work themselves. Right. I think they should all stay home and never go to work, but I also don't <laughs> want to pay them. <laughs> I want them to do nothing, but not, yeah. not get paid, you know? Uh, so would, would you be in favor of undocumented workers getting UBI, let's say, for three months while, uh, let's say, the curve is flattened further? No, I'm not in favor of anyone getting UBI. I just can't be. I'm also not in favor of the government telling people they can't work. So that's my workaround to that. Okay. And okay. as far as how do people make money, you know, I believe that there needs to be some community involvement and community participation. One of the cool things I did with Tom Woods, Dave Smith, and Michael Malice, and and, uh, Michael Bolden, some other libertarian figures, is we did a fundraiser for New York's Meals on Wheels. I'm probably doing another fundraiser for people who've been impacted in my local community. Mm -hmm. The people who have money should step up. 
but I don't want to shake anyone down. I don't want to get anyone's dollars through force, you know, because ultimately, how do we enforce these things? Imprisonment or the end of a gun? And it's, I just can't get behind it. But I, I definitely, yeah. I want people to be taken care of. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with the last statement. I think we can tax the billionaires massively, but that's, um, I'm just going to say that. Um, so my last <laughs> question for you. Um, so what I saw in the news, and I looked for different videos from different media sources um, to see how uh, the protest in downtown LA was being represented. And you, you couldn't get away from the conspiracy theorists, the nuts, the people that were blaming 5G or Bill Gates. Um, so how do you separate your message uh, from that louder but maybe smaller voice so the libertarian idea, libertarian message gets across to the listener? Well, at the protest, we literally picked a separate spot. We, we stationed ourselves under the shade trees right next to the steps of City Hall, not right underneath City Hall where everyone else was mingled. So we actually did have, and it was on either side, you did have little chunks of libertarians with libertarian messaging. As far as what I did previously to that, I went on Spectrum One News Alex Cohen of On the Issues was really gracious to invite me on her show, and I talked explicitly about why libertarians are protesting, that we want people to have economic and personal freedom, and that especially in Los Angeles County, we were concerned with the undocumented population and that they had been very vocal about this issue, but also were afraid to go out and protest because they don't want to get arrested and picked up by ICE, because that is a real concern. When you, when you live here and you're undocumented and for any you know conservatives or Republicans who are closed borders listening to this, just sit down for a second, you know, and <laughs> let someone make an argument for you to a segment of the population that you don't know how to talk to. Mm-hmm. This is a prime example of when freedom is for everyone. And the fact that undocumented people are not able to make money and not spread their message, you know, like of just like, can you please, can you let me make money? I don't want your tax dollars. Like that is a a banner that we should all rally behind and we should say look people want to work they're here to work they're they're hard-working people they're not trying to rob you it's it's like schrodinger's immigrants stealing your money stealing your jobs too lazy to work like which which is it you know Mm -hmm. those are that message is something that i needed to get behind and get out and i think that i did a pretty good job of distinguishing libertarians on that issue because conservatives don't want to go and make that argument and i'll make it really aggressively and put it at the front of my messaging. Would you yeah. allow the conspiracy theorists? Well, they're going to be at every protest. The, you know, <laughs> there, were, there were communists in Black Block at the protest that had giant signs that said Communist Party. They blocked off the street, and I think they were really lucky that there weren't a lot of arrests. The cops moved them off. I don't want anyone to get arrested, even people I don't agree with, people who irritate me and mess up my protest. Uh, yeah, there's, there's always going to be people with stupid signs. There was a woman with mental illness screaming into a megaphone and a sign that said Wu-Tang. I mean, the media is always like- I can get behind that. Right? You're like, okay, yeah, Wu-Tang. Sure, Wu-Tang forever. (laughs) Of course the media is gonna pick up on that because it's sensationalized. It was hilarious. Yeah, they always pick out the goofiest, craziest person to put on TV. Yeah, absolutely. And so you just got to work with what you got, you know? And so I went down there, I was rehearsed. I do a lot of media interviews. I got on CBS, they aired my clip and I was really happy that they did. 
I didn't get to see that. It's, I'll send it to you. It's on All the right. internet. It's floating around mm -hmm. out there. Okay. That, yeah, that the other the thing that the libertarians, because we, we stand up because, you know, a lot of like people, like African-Americans, you know, the cops will harass them if they get out in public, like in a park and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not so much the white folks. So I think it kind of keeps down the African-American people from coming out and joining us in that in that sense, because, you know, cops do tend to mess with them more. I mean, I think mm -hmm. there was just a guy mm -hmm. in New York that got the hell beat out of him. Yeah. You know. Uh, for for you know, and he, uh, as far as I understand, he was keeping social distance. And the, the, the guy in Georgia was just jogging, and he got shot. Mm -hmm. So you know, the libertarians, mm -hmm. we you know, we're like she said, it's it's not about the race; it's about everybody's freedom to do these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now, we have the power to be able to get out and do it. Or she, she does. I I wasn't able to get out and do it, but she was able to get out and get the word out. So to me, that's great that that we can't let the government tell us what to do. They got to let us you know, make the right decisions. And the people who are strong should be able to stand up and help support those who aren't in that sense. The people who can go out and work that are strong enough to uh, and have that desire to do it should be able to do it and be free. And let the people who can't settle on the side for a while and, uh, you know, let let the, let the let it pass. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the, the the only thing I would add to that is that the the bigger the, the big issue with that is that there are a lot of asymptomatic people that look healthy, feel healthy, but they're out there. They could be out there spreading the disease if they don't wear a mask or if they're interacting with other people without socially distancing themselves from others that may be prone to the disease and may be living with people that are high risk, that may live with other children that can spread the disease more quickly. So I think that's that's probably the biggest concern, especially with the disease that's only been around since November. As far as they, they could. We actually don't know unless a study has come out in the past couple of days that I haven't seen. We don't know if asymptomatic people are actively spreading it. That hasn't. Yeah, because Rand Paul didn't get anybody. Because I mean, he had he he tested positive and he didn't get a bunch of people sick, even though he was at Congress. So I mean, it's um, I've seen studies that go from five percent all the way to seventy percent, and I've I've seen people say like it's up to maybe fifty percent. So it could be anywhere in between. Oh, data. We just, we just don't know. Yeah. I have, yeah. I have data fatigue. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. You're not the only one. And Everyone that's one does. thing. It's like no matter what side of it you're on, everybody is reading and reading and reading and laying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, going, oh, what about this? Oh, what about that? Oh. Yeah. And it wears down on your mental health for sure. Absolutely. All right. So you want to talk about um, Justin Amash? Yeah, so well, not just not just Justin Amash, just about the libertarian. I wanted to talk a bit about the, uh, you know, the people running for president uh, for the libertarians. Mm. You know, as uh, members of the Mises Caucus, we're we're 100 behind uh, Hornberger. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a libertarian's libertarian. <laughs> so, and one of the big points about him is, you know, there's I guess would you say there's two groups of us? Like there's the mm. there's the us and then the prat more prag the prags the pragmatic folk the prags and they're, they're 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 a little more um i don't want to say tolerant but they're more willing to allow democrat light or republican <laughs> lights into the party and really what happens then to the libertarians is we our message gets watered down and people don't see the real difference between a libertarian philosophy and say a republican shit people right. are always saying Libertarians are just Republicans who smoke weed. I said, man, I am nothing like a Republican, but I smoke a lot of weed. 
that so that 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 is true but I, I i don't think there's a republican bone in my body right. uh so i don't think there's anything remotely close to that so i think somebody like hornberger who gets out there and just throws the two parties under the bus is the best scenario for the libertarians to make a big splash in this uh you know because i don't think chance even hornberger says you know obviously there's not a big chance of us winning but there is a big chance of us getting our message out there and if Amash gets out there, it's going to be just his libertarian, you know, small L libertarian. You know, right. he might have joined the party, but he's still small L libertarian right. who chose the Republicans over us. And that that's that. And he waited so damn long. It would have been nice if for the last 10 months he would have been in Congress uh, and partaken in debates. And maybe he might have changed some of his views and gotten more libertarian in the process of it. But he didn't. So right. that that that's it. that would be my problem with Amash. I like him, and I'm also I'm a I'm one of the pro-choice libertarians. So I'm not terribly fond of the the government getting involved in people's business whatsoever. So I'm not fond of that stance either. So let me break this down a little bit. Let me let me add a little bit to that because that was that was pretty thorough. Thank Gary, you. Gary Johnson got a lot of votes, a little a lot of libertarian votes in 2016. But what did that translate into? It, it was not a Ron Paul revolution. We did not grow the liberty movement, even outside of the party. We did not grow the liberty movement. And then we definitely didn't grow the party. We got a lot of joins and then a lot of drop-offs. More so than that, you had a lot of people who hated Donald Trump and who hated Hillary Clinton who just checked off a different box. That's all it was for them. That was, that was Fernie. He, he voted Gary Johnson with me last time. And I'm happy, like, I'm happy that that happened. But Me too. As, some, as someone who, who is in the party and is really active and spends pretty much every spare moment that I have on libertarianism, I want the libertarian message to be heard from our presidential candidate. I don't want someone to just go up there and say, I'm a third option, because anyone mm. can do that. Anyone can do say, I'm a third option. And yeah, we have Lincoln Chaffee. <laughs> right. Right. And that's just not to me what the party uh, is about. I'm sure I'm glad that we are that third option, but I want to be more than that. I aspire to be more than that. And I live more than that. So yeah. I want a candidate, we don't have to agree on every single thing, but I want a candidate that at least cares more about promoting liberty than just being another Gary Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. You know, I, I, cause you know, like even when, when uh, judge, Judge Gray jumped in the in the mix. I was kind of bummed out because I'm I really like Gray. I mean, I followed him since the early 2000s, you know, before he ran for pres uh, vice president. And I like him, but you know, I don't want to vote for him for president, especially when we have a Hornberger in the race. And I don't know? appreciate a lot of the stuff that Judge Gray says about law enforcement. I believe he's yeah, yeah, yeah. pandering. You know, yeah. and I'm I'm so glad he's a libertarian, and I'm yeah. glad that he's been able to be a libertarian influence in the legal field. But I want someone who's going to be more unapologetic, yeah. who's messaging for us, especially when we have all these issues like ICE and police brutality and these things like, you know, and right now is the perfect opportunity to blend that messaging with the lockdown issue because we have progressives, we have immigrants, we have minorities who are really fed up with the cops. And then we have conservatives who are like, well, I'm not happy with the police either if they're enforcing these lockdowns. And so like why don't we bring everyone together and say there's too much authoritarianism 
-hmm. You know, we should all care about all of these issues, but even if you're going to prioritize your own personal stuff over someone else's, the same thing is causing it, which is too much of government. So let's fix the problem together. That's what I want from someone who's going to get on stage and represent me. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there, is there, is there, um, is there any VP candidates you like very much? I, I like Larry Sharp a lot. It's a tough call. I mean, I like all of them. I like Larry a lot. I like uh, Spike Cohen, who I totally did not give much of a fair shake to initially, not because there was anything wrong with him, but just because I didn't take him very seriously because he hadn't held office. He's not an economic powerhouse. I mean, certainly, you know, he has a job and takes care of his family and all of that. But Mm -hmm. if you're going to run for president or vice president, I'd like to see you fund a lot of your own travel and have something to show for that are that are really serious professional accomplishments and spike doesn't have a lot of that under his belt but he's really, I actually haven't heard much from him myself he's very articulate and well-spoken he's very good messaging and he's a really good messenger to the left without compromising his principles and after i've heard him in the debates with larry and ken armstrong who i also think is great i was like okay okay, I do think that you have absolutely earned your right to be up here with these other guys. Ken has actual governance experience. I believe it was in Hawaii. Was he, it? Yeah, he, he had, the, the honestly, like his title escapes me right now. But he has done government administration. And Larry Sharp is a very accomplished businessman. And so I, yeah. think, you know, I think either of those options are great for a VP role. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I, I would, uh, I would, I would love a Hornberger Sharp ticket. That would be, that I'd would be, be really great. pleased with that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and Justin Amash, I think that he has done a great job of promoting liberty in Congress. I would have loved to see him continue to do that as a libertarian. And I, what I'm being very cautious of is I don't want to say a bunch of crappy things about him and run him out of the party. Because libertarians are their own worst enemies, you know, (laughs) people off. You're not a real libertarian. Okay, well, can't we accept you as really close and then try to help you get there instead of standing outside and telling you to pass the secret test, you know, and then we'll let you go to the club. So if he gets the nomination, I'm going to support him. But, you know, I want, Hornberger is my guy. I'm volunteering for him in California. I send emails and phone calls, things of that nature. And I, I think he's the voice that we should rally behind. And also Ron Paul has made statements supporting him. And that gives, that that has a lot of weight to me. I really do trust Ron Paul on his character ass- assessments. What, well, um, what's going on with the convention? Cause I'd heard two different things. Are they doing it at the same time now online now? Is that what they're doing? I or was on the on? convention call all day. I briefly stopped off to get an illegal haircut. <laughs> and then I had to k- get off before they finished business to do a podcast with you guys. But as things stood when I left, the presidential candidate and the and I believe the VP candidate were going to be decided Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And the physical convention was going to take place in Orlando later in July. Now, Oh, probably okay. still an hour of business left when I get off. So that could be totally outdated. <laughs> was, 
the last I heard, which and uh, that was just, you know, about an hour, hour and a half ago. Okay. Yeah, it's because cool, 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 uh, I had read a few different things and I, I, I didn't I didn't know what the hell was going on. It just got me all confused. I was know, taking so. secretarial level minutes until I just couldn't anymore because of other <laughs> obligations. They're all yeah. on my social media. It's very long. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. I appreciate all your hard work because, you know, it's nice because, you know, here in L.A., because the, the party's growing, it's easier to make a big splash here you know uh within okay. it within the national party because isn't la county the biggest libertarian party in the in this in the country or the california county, i be, oh in california absolutely i believe we are the largest county in the nation uh-huh. for Jews paying members but i have to double check that I, I could be wrong but i believe that we are california is the largest state within the party we have the most delegates i believe we are 10 percent of the party's mm. registered members Shit, that's cool. It's very cool. It's very cool. <laughs> Everyone hates on California because of our evil leftist policies. But you know what? Like, we have an incredible liberty scene. And along with the evil leftist policies, we get entertainment. We get perfect weather. You know, we get amazing good cult- All the good cultural stuff here. I love, yeah. I love California. Me too. I love it. Yeah. So just one, one quick question for me about the uh, Libertarian Party. So what do you say to people that um, are tired of Trump, don't want to see four more years of Trump, and are not willing to risk that by voting third party? I tell them to enjoy four more years of Trump. <laughs> yeah, you know? I think that's probably what's going to happen. I mean, okay. I don't, I, I can't tell someone to vote for something I don't believe in. If we had a libertarian candidate who I thought was awful, I wouldn't tell them to vote for that person either. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. I don't I don't take party over principle. I don't. Right. I take principle always. And I think that that is what makes you a real libertarian so if such a thing exists. Like when, I'm sure you can remember, like when the Democratic uh, uh, candidate field was a lot bigger, you had Bertie. Um, you had Mayor Pete, you had uh, Biden barely following behind. Um, a lot of the pragmatic vote ended up rallying behind Biden and knocking off a lot of the moderates. So I think the Democratic, or at least the pragmatic vote would be, especially like if we don't want to see four more years of nonsense of a president that's telling people that they can consume Lysol um, as a, a treatment for COVID-19 or somebody that'll inadvertently release um, satellite spy satellite imagery. Uh, like Trump did, um, we should rally behind somebody that's not necessarily as good as somebody like Bernie, but would be a lot better than what we currently have and is far more electable than Hornberger, for example. I'm not convinced at all that that Joe Biden is going to do a better job at anything than Donald Trump. Uh, And I've looked at his voting record. Uh, The The war on drugs, the wars... Yeah. I'll give him that he did right. he did clean up his his voting record on war a little bit over the past like uh, eight years or so. In two thousand one, he was hardcore, you know, for yeah. the war in Iraq. But as far as I feel like there's a big disconnect. I'm not upset about Donald Trump's t- Twitter. I'm not upset that he said he that he asked someone if disinfectant was something that could be used to treat. Uh, coronavirus. 
I don't think he literally meant Lysol. Did I meme the hell out of it? Absolutely, because it was hilarious. <laughs> but do I think that he literally meant inject yourself with bleach? No. I think he's just not well spoken. And yeah, he he's sort of idiot. he that's, does this. That, that's that's been very kind and generous to him. Uh well, how about what if, you know, and then huge, you're like, yeah, fail yeah. bigly or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um I just like I can't tell someone go vote for Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of progressive friends who feel the same way. And now you've got the Tara Reid allegations mm -hmm. in combination with other people who, female secret service agents who complained repeatedly that Joe Biden would swim naked in front of them and they asked to be transferred. And usually I believe they were not, which mm -hmm. is not really cool. Yeah, I'd read that too. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm not all about Joe Biden. I can't be, and I can't say, vote for the lesser of two evils because that's saying vote for evil and that's he, just not not my jam he also so, used to brag about how good of friends he was with netanyahu and loved to help out israel and all that with their abuses and stuff too so i just i, I can't get behind that that is from, a very good point from our side or from my side we wouldn't have this problem if bernie was the presidential candidate that's that would be my thought on that. We just we'd have a whole different list of problems. <laughs> right. Like right. like free healthcare. Least, right. But at least uh the foreign policy would be a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Although Bernie did vote, I believe, in twenty was it twenty fourteen to have all those uh fighter jets, those war machines built in Vermont, and that didn't work out. So I do like to mm. dig up a little bit and do some research, you know, like yay, we brought jobs to Vermont so that we could kill brown people overseas yeah not i'm not enthusiastic about that no right. one's perfect though no one's perfect yeah indeed okay sounds good so so what's what's in the uh immediate future for us libertarians here in california i think you got another protest you're pro, uh, uh gonna set up yes. right for memorial day or something i am coordinating for memorial day weekend i actually will be calling back the national coordinator of that protest group as soon as uh you and i are done chatting it's American Revolution 2.0. It is a nonpartisan organization that is strictly concerned with our constitutional rights being violated by the lockdown. And so I have been working with them on getting that taken care of. And I will definitely be moderating a presidential debate on May 10th. That'll be on social media. You can check that out through the Mises Caucus. And I'm just trying to line up as much stuff as possible. Did, did I already ask you who's going to be partaking in that debate or how many people? You might have, and I don't know yet, but I will be finding out. I don't believe Justin Amash has signed up for that one yet. I am pretty confident that Vermin Supreme, Hornberger, Kokesh, and a couple others will be in it. Yeah, that'll, that'll be good. I'm looking forward to that. I, you know, when I, was, uh, when I was in high school, they kicked me out of the music classes because I wouldn't cut my hair, and they put me, you know, I told them, I said, what do you want me to do, take the photography classes, you know, shit, I'm blind. So they put me in the speech classes and I got in debate. So I just, I love debates and arguing. I just, I find it terribly amusing. Oh, so I, I always look forward to this time of year when I can watch all the good debates. I just love that stuff. Absolutely. All right. So we've uh, uh, taken up, I think, enough of your time. Uh, Angela, yeah. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your Yeah, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun and I would love to check in with you guys again yeah. after some dust has settled and I've got some more interesting things to report on.
Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be cool. Absolutely. Have you uh, come back after the next protest and see how it goes and see how the yeah. the the release of the lockdown's gone over the country? I had mm-hmm. one last question, kind of non uh, 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 politic oriented. I see you you like uh, uh, mixed martial arts. Yeah, I do. I do like MMA. I like Western martial arts. I like uh, I like all of it. Yeah. What do you do? You train in any of them? Not currently. I don't have enough time, but I used to do Lovio style Wing Chun, which is not something anyone listening to this is going to be familiar with. Uh, I am. <laughs> kendo, Japanese Kendo. And I did uh, German and Italian broadsword too. And, and oh, a lot sweet. more stuff. Yeah, sword a lot more fight. stuff in college. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was a Brazilian cool. jiu-jitsu guy myself. I, I, I took uh, jiu-jitsu from the Gracie family. I, I, love, uh, I love those combat sports. That's very cool. I did a little yeah. bit of that in college. And then just didn't fit into my schedule anymore. Yeah. Kickboxing too, Muay Thai. Oh man, that's sweet. <laughs> I love Muay Thai. That's cool. Now, yeah, so you're so that's good. You're a warlord that can sword fight. I like that. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again, Angela, and uh, good luck with uh, all the stuff coming up in the future. And I appreciate you doing our podcast. And uh, thank you. We look forward to talking to you soon. Great. Thanks for and having me. And the on. debate too. Take yep. care.